You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1019 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Monday morning at this point. And today's show is brought to you by Spotify Greenroom. Download the Spotify Greenroom app from the iOS app store. Find one of our Locked on Rooms. Spotify Greenroom, changing the way we talk sports. Today's podcast will focus on game seven between the Hawks and the Sixers, with the Hawks emerging victorious in Philadelphia, winning their first game seven and even appearing in the first game seven since 2014. Their biggest game of any kind, in my opinion, since 2015. And the first time since then, and the second time in the history of the Hawks franchise in Atlanta, that they've gone as far as the NBA's Final Four, and that's where they are now with this victory. A lot of people sort of buried the Hawks after Game 6, losing at home, and you know, I guess that made some sense on some level, but I stressed on Friday on the podcast, and even after that, that the Hawks had a chance to win this game in Game 7 in Philadelphia, just because of the fact that you know the Hawks were uh, playing well, but also because Philadelphia was very, very capable of having an offensive lull uh, or two that would give the Hawks a chance to win the series. And honestly, that's what happened in this spot. The Hawks did not play their absolute A-plus game, but they got enough plays. Uh, Kevin Herter was awesome, for instance. We'll get into him later on. Trey Young made a bunch of plays down the stretch. And then defensively, the Hawks were awesome in this game. And that was enough to sort of ride the wave to a road win for the team's second trip to the NBA's Final Four since moving from St. Louis. Uh, so, yeah, a lot, lot to get into, obviously, on the podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard. What we do on the podcast is go through what transpired, sort of uh, blow by blow, and then we'll, at the end of the podcast, have some takeaways and some individual breakdowns, etc. But please subscribe to the show, and thank you, as always, for listening. So, we'll dive in now at the pregame. There was some drama in terms of the injury stuff in this spot. First of all, Bruno Fernando was suspended without pay for leaving the bench at the end of Game 6. About a $10,000 loss for Bruno, so hopefully he gets to make it back with the, with the Conference Finals money. Um, but nothing else really falling out from that. And B was, B was fine, I should say, not suspended, obviously, because he played in Game 7. But the big injury news was Bogdanovich. He was listed as questionable, coming in with the right knee source to catch him out of the fourth quarter of Game 6. Ended up playing. Uh, McMillan said that he was sore on Saturday, getting treatment for it, and that was not related to the avulsion fracture that he had early in the season. But he was questionable, and then a game-time decision coming into the game. He was announced as in about 30 minutes before the game started. And needless to say, he was not himself in this game. Uh, the Hawks will need him, will definitely need him to be better than this, slash more healthy than this moving forward. But he ended up playing, and they needed him to at least be out there. Uh, that was not a small thing that the Hawks got there because of their uh, challenge depth on the wing at, the mo- at this moment in time. But that was sort of the only sort of pregame question to be answered. By tip-off, the Hawks were seven-point underdogs, according to our friends at Battle AG. They were that across the board, it looked like, and uh, you know on the road, you expect that. But the Hawks, of course, overcame that. They were able to win it. So um, we'll dive in now to the first quarter. A nice start for the Hawks, actually. It was 7-2. to two. They scored seven points in the first three possessions of the game. And a pretty solid offensive start overall by Game 7 standards. Of course, it slowed down and got uglier and uglier from there. Um, Trey actually opened 0-4, but drew a three-shot foul in the early going. They actually went to Collins, uh, sorry, they went to Gallinari first with Bogdanovich at the first timeout. Pretty early there to go to the big lineup with Gallinari at the three. That was extensively used in this game. Uh, the Hawks, though, got nine points in the first seven minutes from Kevin Herter, who was, again, awesome in this game. He made his first four shots. Kind of a rough start for Gallinari, but, um, you know, Herter sort of carried the load a lot in this game, honestly. And one of the stories that I want to point to, you know, obviously I'm trying to give you some nuance throughout the series. Philadelphia, I was just baffled by their bench units 
in the entire series, but in particular Game 7, when you would think there'd be more urgency, um, they still kept going to this four-bench unit um, as they have all series. It started out with Bevin Simmons playing with Dwight Howard, which has never worked. Ask anyone in Philadelphia, even a regular season, that's, that's a lot that doesn't work. Um, they tried that, and then they went to these four-bench units the entire uh, you know for t- entire stretches. It didn't stay with it la- that long. They brought actually they did, they did make one adjustment with bringing Embiid back in a little bit faster in this game. Embiid ended up playing a lot of minutes, but other than that, you know those minutes where he was not on the floor ended up really really biting uh, Philadelphia um, in a pretty significant way. I thought. Um, at any rate, though, the Hawks played nine guys in their own right. That was probably too many. Uh, credit to McMillan, though, he only played eight guys after halftime. Um, so definitely did trim the rotation down. No Solomon Hill after halftime. We'll come back to that later on. But it was a Kong Win Lou for Gallinari. And then uh, Hill for the final minute or so. And then the first stretch of the second quarter, that was all he played in this spot. They brought Capella back in, actually, to match and bead. He got a second foul um, in that stretch. So there was some foul trouble with Capella and Gallinari having two fouls each at the end of the first quarter. The Hawks did trail by three at the end of the first, but it was basically just uh, you know a little bit of a math problem. Herter and Collins were seven away from the floor in the first quarter, but nobody else was really good, and they were able to sort of hang around despite some uh, uneven performance. That was a theme of this entire game, and really the entire series at times. Um, before we get to the second quarter, today on the road to the finals, our NBA player coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. 95 calories, you assist carbs. You can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. So... Second quarter was the first and really only run of any kind by either team in the, in the entire first half, honestly, was the Hawks at the outset of second quarter. An 8-0 run, take a five-point lead with uh, Trey off the floor. And usually they would go to Bogdanovich in that spot, but with Bogdanovich hampered, they went to a lineup of Williams, Herter, Hill, Gallinari, and Kongwu in that stretch. It was 8-0 run, as I said before, and really it was the Sixers kicking the ball around a lot. Gallinari hit back-to-back threes, but the second one was basically created because of Philadelphia having a pretty bad turnover. It kind of just fell right in his lap. He made a three there. And the big thing is that happened with Trey off the court. You know, Trey obviously is a big part of what the Hawks do, but making a, a, a sort of pretty big run without him is pretty notable for this Hawks team. Okongwu I thought was very, very good in this game. We'll come back to him later on, but his energy was, was sort of impactful. They brought, they brought Boogie back a little bit later on. Um, the Sixers had a couple of noticeable blunders in this game, but one of them was a four-on-two fast break they blew in that stretch where they missed shot, and then Embiid had an off-ball foul along the way. One of the other themes that I thought in the first half in particular of this game was the officiating was uh, generally a mess, not even in a partisan way, just kind of on both sides. Uh, bad calls, and I seemed like everybody on both teams was frustrated, which is always a bad sign, you would say. Uh, they called a foul on Simmons originally late, in the, in the first half, then they changed it and took it away, saying that the Hawks called timeout before the foul, and Trey Young was incensed, got a tee as a result of that for spiking the ball basically right into the official. Um, but, you know, just a lot of frustration. A lot of, lot, of, lot of eruptions from McMillan and Doc and Embiid and, and uh, you know, Trey and John Collins, other guys that were uh, tri- sort of tripping with the officials, and I think rightly so. It was some pretty bad officiating in a lot of, a lot of the first half, really the entire game, I thought. Um, turnovers, though, were a huge, huge part of the game, I thought, the entire way. Um, Philly had eight in the first 17 minutes or so. They felt like even more than that, they were kind of kicking the ball around in a big way. Herter, you could tell he was feeling it already, but he had a pretty wild, like, step-back, swaggy three uh, at the end of the first half. Just an impressive shot. He was feeling it in a big way. Um, some foul trouble stuff in the first half as well. Collins, sorry, Capella had two fouls and sort of auto-benched him late. Simmons got his third late in the first half. Um, Harris missed a dunk, though, at the last trip of the, of the first half, and the Hawks let, took a two-point lead into halftime. Just a pretty weird half overall. You know, the typical Game 7 rock fight stuff, some nervousness, some bad shooting, 
Um, plus the officiating, I thought the Hawks did a good job defensively, but Harris was awful for the Sixers and uh, some silly rotations for, for Philadelphia as well. Trey had his worst half of the playoffs by far. He was one of 12 from the floor. Did get to the line seven times, had five assists, but so it was like a total zero, but not his best by any means. Um, Herter and Collins were both awesome, and that was kind of it in terms of offense for the Hawks in the first half. But a key stat, 10 giveaways for Philadelphia in the first half, only four for the Hawks, and that allowed them to take a two-point lead into the halftime break. Before we get to the rest of the game and uh, takeaways later on in the podcast, a word from our sponsors on today's show, and the first of which is Indeed. Imagine you're the hiring expert for your company. What you really need is to make your shortlist a quality candidates. You need a hiring partner who makes your life easier, and you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three, post-screening interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications and schedule and complete your video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. Indeed makes connecting with and hiring the right talent fast and easy. With tools like Indeed Instant Match, which gives you quality candidates whose resume on Indeed fits your job description immediately, and Indeed Skills Test that on average reduce hiring time by 27%. You can choose from more than 130 skills tests or add your own, then add your must-have requirements so that you only have to pay for your applications that meet them. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all of the other job sites combined. If you're hiring, you need Indeed. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash locked. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com slash locked. Indeed.com slash locked. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we'll dive in now to the second half of this game. And it was a little bit of a push early on from Philadelphia in the third quarter. Um, the first five points go to Philadelphia to tie the game and take the, actually take the lead eventually in the third. Then a pretty big swing, I thought, with Simmons finishing a layup, but he got called for a charge. That was his fourth foul, but it would have given the Sixers um, a pretty big lead at that point in time, but then on the other, on the other end of the floor, ended up with a Kevin Herter three-point play to tie the game. So that was a, you know, it's early in the third, not a huge, huge swing, but certainly a notable one in my view. Uh, later on, Young got in a groove as a passer, had a bunch of lobs, had two, lo- two lobs in a row from Young to Capella, getting to his spots offensively, and then another rocket pass with his left hand to Capella for a dunk shortly after, just a display of passing that you don't often see. Trey is such a good passer. It's his best skill, and that was just on full display here. There was more weirdness, though. I thought Simmons might have goaltended a shot for a dunk on the offensive side. It went on cold, and then Harris, though, missed a layup transition to keep the the game tied before timeout. Um, Gallinari came in for Bogdanovich as the first sub again. But then more Kevin Herter. He had a really tough jumper to beat the shot clock and then scored over Curry on a post-up for the lead. Just totally nails the entire game, taking it to Seth Curry offensively using a size advantage, and that was very effective. There was a pretty bad stretch from both teams, I thought, when Doc went to the to the bench lineup again. Uh, Congo had a nice block on Maxi, but um, there's a flagrant one on uh, Dwight Howard for collecting the head on Collins. Collins made both free throws, and then Gallinari had a sort of a crazy old man shot off the glass that he made. It was a four-point possession for the Hawks, and that kind of allowed them to take a, tw- a 12-4 lead, actually. Sorry, 12-4 run, took a seven-point lead late in the third quarter. Uh, Gallo got into the toolbox for a jumper out of the timeout. Um, Philly got it to one finally on a tieable dunk, but then the Hawks pushed it right back up. Lou got a pick six on Embiid for a layup, and then Trey hit the floater to go up by seven. Uh, they, they led by five at the end of the third quarter with Trey shooting two of 16 from the floor. But Philadelphia turning them all over still the entire time, doubling them up 14 to seven in turnovers for three quarters. So the Hawks at that point had seven more shot attempts than Philadelphia, which is usually a good way to. Uh, at least be in a better spot winning-wise, is just take more shots than their opponent. That's always helpful. Uh, in the fourth quarter, 
uh, started out a little bit wobbly for the Hawks, to be sure. They sat Trey for his final and only rest of the second half. Um, they went with Lou, Herder, Bogdanovich, Gallinari, and Capella. And then Embiid came out, scored the first five points of the fourth, qu- of the fourth quarter to tie the game. And then Nate called timeout immediately. So now it's a new game again. It became a 9-1 run overall by Philadelphia to go up by four. And actually, it should have been worse. Um, Tobias Harris, who... I'll do this now. Tobias Harris was dreadful in this game, I thought, for Philadelphia. He was a huge reason why the Hawks were able to hold on and win it because he just missed so many point-blank shots. Layups, floaters, stuff he needs to make. Um, He missed two layups in that run. It was already a 9-1 run. It probably should have been 13-1 or at least 11-1, but he just could not get a shot to fall around the rim. And the Hawks... I will say this, the Hawks got pretty screwed on a foul call that led to three-point play for Harris. When he finally, finally made one, um, I thought he bulldozed his way in on a loose ball that should have been called a foul, and then it was just, it was a touch foul on him. So sort of giveth and taketh away there, I guess. But the Hawks had a pretty big swing later on from there when Tybal had a wide-open three for Philadelphia that he missed, and then Gallinari hit one on the other side of the floor to cut the lead back to one. So could have been seven. Suddenly it's, suddenly it's one again, and those are the kind of things that have to happen for you to win on the road. But Gallinari's three was the first points the Hawks scored in about three and a half minutes at that point. They really were sort of stalling out offensively, and that kind of gave them some life. So Trey gets one to go finally on a flat-footed jumper, um, which he had been uh, ice cold as a shooter. And then Herter hit another floater, another jumper size, uh, you sort of in floater range over Curry to uh, sort of tie it with six, six minutes to go. And from there, it's a new game. Tied, half a quarter left, and there you have it. So Trey is in the lead after a timeout. With about five minutes to go, they trade some empty trips and B ties it again. Um, Herter then scores again on a tough shot over Curry. That matchup was so kind to the Hawks in this game. Uh, and then probably the play they got the most attention nationally of the entire night was the Ben Simmons open dunk pass play. So with about four-ish minutes left, Simmons has a wide open dunk. Not exaggerating, a wide open dunk in a half-court set. And he just doesn't take it. He just passes it to Batiste Tybel, who is fouled. And even then, I'm not even sure he was fouled. They got bailed out a little bit there by that play. But regardless, it should have been two free points for Philadelphia. Tybel gets fouled, splits the pair. So the Hawks get a free point out of that. It should have been two points for Philadelphia. They hold him to one. That was uh, important at that point in time. Um, then a timeout. The Hawks up, up by one. They have kind of a kind of a broken play after that, and Trey though f- makes a way, gets in the lane, finds Capella for a pretty acrobatic lob play for a dunk to go up by three. Out of a timeout from there, Embiid misses on a post up, and then Trey hits a deep three, his first made jump shot in a long time, and the Hawks are up by six with two thirty to go. So now you're suddenly in control, not like it's dominant, but you're in control. Uh, they give up a layup to Harris, they turn it over from there though, and then but Herter smartly, I would say, fouls Simmons in the backcourt automatically. Um, Simmons does, did, did make one, but split those. So you're, you're, only, you're only up three now instead of uh, would have been two if they had scored or maybe even one. Um, Collins, though, gets called for moving screen with 1.30 to go. And then Harris finally gets a layup to go, and the Hawks are only up by one. So that's the tightest moment that there was in the final three minutes, basically, was that moment in time. But for the second, maybe even third time, but definitely second time in the series, Matisse Tybel commits a terrible, terrible Three-shot foul by Philadelphia that Herter draws. The Hawks benefit from it. Herter, as he was all night long, was nailed at the line, makes all three, and the Hawks go from up one to up four with under a minute to go. That's a massive swing. You cannot overstate that with under a minute to go uh, to now be up by two possessions. That's just huge. Then Embiid turns it over, which leads to a run out by Gallinari, who uh, had a nice crafty defensive play there. And uh, 
I did not think that I would be seeing a game slash series clinching dunk by Gallinari in transition, but that's exactly what happened there. Because basically, it wasn't over, but it effectively was at that moment in time. So that was a huge moment. Trey was celebrating as, as Gallo was going down the floor. Lots of jubilation in the building. Um, it wasn't over there. Like, Philly uses their timeout, which is kind of a silly play. Um, Milton then kind of, you know, pretty clearly walks uh, uncalled. Scores, though, but still only down by four. Trey actually missed a free throw, but um, the door was open a little bit. But even then, B misses a pretty good look for three, and that was kind of it. So, you know, obviously a lot to get to there, but, you know, back and forth, back and forth. The Hawks just were the better team in the fourth quarter for most of the series, and that's what happens, and you, you won the series because of that, basically. You go in, and you just don't you don't give up a lot on the road, and, uh, you know, they were just better executing down the stretch, and we'll leave it there for now. We'll have more, we'll have more takeaways and uh, more individual breakdowns momentarily, but first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is Built Bar. Built Bar is wonderful, as I always say on the podcast, but what is your favorite Built Bar flavor? Did you know that Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, plus the occasional limited time flavor, and when you talk about Built Bar, it's always a passionate thing for people that really enjoy their own flavors, and if you don't know the flavors, you're really missing out. It's coconut, coconut almond, cherry, raspberry, and many more. There's something for everyone, and my favorite flavor right now, anyway, I have many favorites, to be honest with you, but right now, I'm really loving the peanut butter brownie. That's just one that I'm really enjoying. I like to dive into that as much as possible. I always uh, talk about how much I enjoy Built Bar, and that is the one that I am diving into at this moment in time. If you haven't tried the flavors, though, get a mixed box right now where you get two of each of the nine available flavors at this moment in time. And not only are the Built Bar flavors fantastic, they're also very healthy. Most flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, only four grams of net carbs, and a couple others have even more protein if you enjoy that kind of thing. Order today, get that raspberry mint brownie or whatever you would like, and if you do it in the near future, you go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKED15, 15% off your first order with Built Bar. Use promo code LOCKED15, 15% off at BuiltBar.com. All right, so on the takeaway side, a lot to get to, but I will start with the turnover battle because it felt like Philadelphia even had more than they did, honestly, turnover-wise, but the Hawks did a much, much better job in ball security, and that really helped them because in big moments, that was uh, you know one of Philadelphia's fatal flaws in this series. In fact, Embiid had 16 turnovers in the last two games. He had eight in game six and eight in game seven. Uh, he's a great player, but that was uh, unacceptably high for him. As a team, Philadelphia had 17 in game seven. The Hawks only had 10. And that leads you to some good math problems if you were Atlanta with extra possessions and all that stuff. So, uh, and also the capitalize, you know, late, obviously, the one with Gallinari, the run out, but there were a few other ones where it just kind of led to good opportunities for the Hawks throughout the game. Uh, defensively, the Hawks were very good in this game. Much as they were in Game 6, I made sure to sort of stress that. The Hawks played well defensively in Game 6. It was the offense that kind of let them down. In this game, they were even better defensively. They got some help, to be sure, from, in particular, Tobias Harris, who, again, I thought was dreadful in this game. Uh, he's a good player, but, man, he was... Him and Dwight Howard were battling to see who would help the Hawks the most, I thought, and Harris just playing more, and he missed so many bunnies and was just kind of generally bad in this game. Um, but the Hawks, you know, forced the turnovers. They took, took advantage of those. Some good contests, though. Not a lot of breakdowns defensively. I, I could see a few in my head, but not a lot. They did a better job on Seth Curry overall, and B didn't absolutely kill them. Uh, and with Harris not really giving them much and Simmons giving them nothing, there were not a whole lot of areas to be worried about defensively. Philly shot 43% from the floor. That's totally fine. The Hawks rebounded very well in defensive glass. They grabbed more than 80% of the available missed shots. That's an, a very, very good ratio against a big team like Philly. Um, again, Embiid got his, but they, they held Curry down. Only 42 points in the paint. That's manageable for Philadelphia against the Hawks' defense. They were 11 of 19 at the rim, which is pretty good defense, and only 11 of 27 
in floater range. That is very good defense and also a lot of attempts. Um, they're not always high, high, uh, effectively, high efficiency attempts from Philadelphia. Um, so yeah, we'll leave it there for the defense, but they were really, really good, I thought, the entire game defensively the Hawks were. Um, offense, not fantastic, obviously, but not totally awful, enough. They had about a 1.03 point per possession offensively. They ended up holding Philly to sub one point per possession, which is just elite kind of proficiency defensively. The Hawks shot 54% on twos, which isn't great, but 48% from Philadelphia. So they got the advantage there. They were 10 of 21 on long twos in this game, which is a lot of attempts. That's probably more than you would want, quite honestly, for long two attempts, but they made 10 of them. That's a good. That's actually a good percentage. A lot of that's Kevin Herter, who was just nails in this spot. Um, but they got to the line 32 times. That's seven more than Philadelphia took. And in the second half, the Hawks made half their shots, 50%. That's very, very solid. And 17 free throw attempts. So... They did enough offensively after halftime. They were not they were not great in the first half. They still weren't like fantastic after halftime, but they did more than enough to get the win and uh, sort of secure that on the numbers and sort of the way they uh, take away you know the way the actual game flowed. Um, individually, we'll go through this now. The Hawks played nine guys in this game. Solomon Hill was number nine. He didn't play much, but he was actually actually plus five in his little stretch. That was the first five points of the second quarter when they were playing that bench lineup against the uh, without Trey. That actually was very effective. Um, We'll just kind of leave it there for Solo. He might have he might have to have a role again in the Milwaukee series, which we'll come back to in the next couple of podcasts between now and Wednesday. But um, you know the Hawks definitely did shorten their rotation up. Only played eight guys after halftime. Lou Williams, eleven minutes. I thought he played more than this actually in this game. But the way that it worked out was they play, they just leaned so heavily on Herder and they played Collins forty one minutes and Gallinari played thirty. That, that sort of took away. But Collins played sixty minutes in this game. But Lou uh, was okay. Six points, two assists, they had three steals, including a pick six for a dunk. Lou Williams had a dunk in this game. Um, you know, he was good. He wasn't as good as, as he was in Game 5. He was much better than he was in Game 6. So, uh, so I split the difference, and I guess he played well enough to get the job done. I thought Okongwu was awesome. For a guy who only had one point in 16 minutes, I thought he played so well. Three rebounds, two assists, but defended, defended Embiid pretty well. He was feisty. He was flying around defensively. Uh, obviously, the offensive part of the game is going to have to sort of improve on, but you can see the signs. Uh, Okongwu holding, holding up. Well, in a game seven on the road against Joel Embiid, is uh, speaks to the fact that his his future is very bright. We'll say that he was very good in this game. Gallinari, seventeen points off the bench, huge because they needed all the all that offense. I thought he didn't play that well in the first half. I thought he actually was pretty bad in the first half. But he had those two threes on that one stretch that were sort of broken plays, but he ended up making them. In the second half, he was much better. He was physical. He was in the way defensively. Uh, two fouls, five rebounds, two assists, two st- and a steal. That was the big one at the end with the flying dunk. But three of seven from three, they had to have that. And his shot making, they sort of attacked um, with him mismatch-wise, sort of hunting those in the second half. That was effective, and he I thought, played, I thought he played well after halftime. Um, of the starters... Bogdanovich was the one uh, sort of shaky link. He played 21 minutes. He was clearly not himself. Uh, you know, it's credit to him that he went out there and played. Uh, he's a tough guy, quite obviously. He was not 100%. That was very, very clear by the way he was moving. Everything was short. Uh, four points, two steals, two assists. Um, we'll see how he looks on Wednesday. Obviously, a good break to have him have Monday and Tuesday off for the Hawks. But they will need him in this series with Milwaukee, to be sure. And he was not himself in this game. But they were able to sort of hold the fort without him. And uh, you saw in the minutes with 21 that they, they, they kind of knew that and had to go away from him, leaning more on Gallinari and Herter. And that was the right decision as the game played on. Uh, Clay Capella, I thought, was okay. He wasn't great. He was improved in the second half. He had the bunch of finishes on lobs from Trey. After halftime, he had three in a row, basically, on dunks. But, you know, defensively, he was pretty good. 
uh, offensively not a huge factor, but I thought he was better as a season wore along, as a series I should say wore along. Um, and it wasn't great, but it was okay enough. 32 minutes and that did his job for the most part. Uh, Trey Young, we'll do this now. 21 points, 10 assists. So those numbers speak for themselves. If you just didn't look at the shooting numbers, you would think, oh, Trey, 21 and 10. Um, he was not very good in this game. We got to be honest about that. Uh, Trey did though did though make some huge plays in the second half. And that's the mark of a star is that he was clearly did not have it in this game all the way through. I don't know if it was the shoulder or just you know breaking down and just not making shots. Um, it happens sometimes, but he made plays. He had the passing with the ten assists. Um, he still draws a ton of attention. He took advantage of that. He made some big shots late. Uh, the big three to go up by six was uh, you know one that he's just uh, for some reason he could find a way to do that when he's ice cold. Hitting, you know, sort of a big shot. It wasn't a dagger, but it was a, uh, you know, one of the bigger shots of the night for the Hawks to go up by six at the end of the game. So, uh, five of twenty-three from the floor is unsightly. Three of twelve on twos is pretty bad. Two of eleven from three, same thing. Got to the line though eleven times and made nine of them. So that's one of the benefits of having a star that gets to the line like he does is that when he doesn't have it going, he can still he can sort of score efficiently at least one way. He's able to do that here. So, not his best work, but the Hawks were still plus seven when he played, and in general they. Uh, you know, he did enough. He'll have better nights against Milwaukee. I'm sure of it. He was still awesome in this series for the most part. Just had a sort of a clunker by his standards in Game 7. But again, to his credit, able to make a positive impact despite the bad shooting numbers. And then the the two guys I thought were awesome in this game for Atlanta, John Collins and Kevin Herter. So Collins, 14 points, 16 rebounds, an assist, a steal, and a block, plus 7, 41 minutes. Only took six shots. That probably should be a little bit higher, I would think, but got to the line four times, made all four. But defensively, he was so good, flying around, rebounding, uh, led the led the entire game. Was the only guy on the Hawks roster to have more than seven rebounds in this game. He had 16 rebounds. Just nails, doing the little things, um, bringing that sort of intrinsic value to the table. And this is supposed to be, you know, three years, three years ago, John Collins doing this in a playoff game uh, with, with defense and energy and rebounding would not have been what you would have thought. He was an offense first player for most of his career to this to until like last season basically, and now he is a well-rounded guy who can do a lot of different things well. He spaced the floor, was effective, had to be guarded out there. Um, yeah, just played well, like just played nails the entire game. Was an awesome performance from him. Outplayed to outplayed outplayed Tobias, Tobias Harris for sure in this game. Outplayed outplayed Ben Simmons for sure in this game. So there you go, 14-16 for John and a nice night at the office. And then Kevin Herter, like you know, this is the Kevin Herter game from now until he has a better one, honestly. He was so good. This is Game 7 on the road in Philadelphia, and Kevin Herter goes out and has 27 points on 18 18 shots, 10 of 18, 5 7 from the the free throw line, 2 of 4 from 3, 7 rebounds, 3 assists, played good defense, um, guarded Seth Curry for for most of the game, uh, just took on the assignment. Like At at some points in this game, they were running ISO for Kevin Herter on, on Seth Curry. Like It's a credit to him that he had the ball in his hands a lot in the fourth quarter and the second half of this game. And he earned it. He was so good. Uh, he was playing with, you know, aggressiveness and confidence and just, you know, putting on a show. So credit to Kevin Herter. He was awesome in this game. Uh, you know, basically the Hawks best offensive player all the way all the way around. Obviously, Trey's the engine. He was still the engine in this game. But the shot making from, from Herter was just, you cannot, be, you cannot overstate how, how important it was because he was really the only guy on either team that really had that going in this game. So awesome night for Kevin. And we'll leave it there for now. So before we look ahead a little bit, to what they have on tap with Milwaukee. Some broad thoughts here. I'm not always the most uh, you know, effusive guy. I, I'm definitely trying to be level-headed and measured. But the Hawks taking this team to the conference finals is remarkable. Nate McMillan 
credit to him for engineering the turnaround. Trey Young, superstar that he is, uh, you know, obviously taking on a uh, a new national relevance in this in this playoff run. But I think people locally knew this already. He's been a star for a long for a long while now, but getting the attention that he deserves. The supporting pieces: Collins, uh, Capella, Herder. Bogey didn't have a great series, but was awesome before this to carry them uh, down the stretch of the regular season. Gallo getting some more flowers. Lou on the, Lou on the big stage. Just an awesome performance. And to go from where they were at 14 and 20 uh, to conference finals is just wild. It really is. It's impressive. Hawks fans are on cloud nine, and they should be. Just an awesome performance. I saw the I saw a stat out there. The Hawks are the first team to make the conference finals without an all-star since the 94 Pacers. Obviously, that's ridiculous because Trey should have been an all-star. Trey is an all-star by any description other than he didn't make it this year. But it goes to show you that they didn't get a whole lot of attention this year, and they're in the conference finals. So I don't want to go too crazy, but they also won this series without DeAndre Hunter. DeAndre Hunter did not play in this series, and DeAndre Hunter is one of their better players and a guy who I think is pretty irreplaceable for what they actually have on this roster. They won three road games in Philadelphia. Um, They beat the number one seed without home court. They lose game six. And a lot of teams would just kind of, you know, fade away and yield to the better to the perceived better team at home, and they came out and threw the threw the haymaker back and won it in Game Seven. So I can go on and on, but an awesome, you know, that's the word I keep using. I know I'm repeating myself, but just a tremendous performance from the Hawks and credit to the entire organization. Travis Schlenk um, deserves a lot of credit for putting this team together. Tony Wrestler for spending the money on the team, all that stuff. The Hawks had a great already have a great year, and it's not done. Kevin Herter sort of put it. Uh, perfectly when they said that, you know, they, they've not come this far to only come this far. They want to keep winning. Um, just like, you know, stop if you've heard this before, but they're going to be the underdogs in, in the conference finals, um, but they can win it. There's no question about it in mind that, that, that they can beat the Bucs. Um, we'll see. But, you know, at this point in time, celebrate the win. We'll have much more to come to be sure. Um, as for the schedule, by the way, the series begins Wednesday in Milwaukee, then Friday, game two, Sunday, game three, Tuesday, next Tuesday, June 29th for game four back in Atlanta. So Sunday and Tuesday are the home games at State Farm Arena. And then Thursday, July 1st in Milwaukee. And then Saturday, July 3rd, if necessary, game home, game six at home. And then uh, game seven, if you are looking for that to happen, would be Monday, July 5th in Milwaukee. So that's the schedule. By the way, all of these games are 8.30 p.m. Eastern time. So give me some late nights. Coming up, no afternoon games, no 7 o'clock games, 8.30 the rest of the way. So buckle up if you are a uh, not, 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 not a night person. My apologies, but we'll have plenty of content coming in the near future. I will have at least one podcast between now and game one. At least one more podcast, I should, I should say, besides this one. Um, potentially two, but at least one. I will promise you that. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And uh, subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about the show. If you're a new listener, welcome aboard. I hope you stay locked into the podcast. We, we do have some guests every once in a while as, that will come and join me potentially a couple guys, um, guys and gals in the, in the near future. So subscribe, rate, review, and uh, enjoy the win. We will now reset and look ahead to Milwaukee starting with the next podcast. So stay tuned for all of that, and we'll see you next time.